São Paulo, Campeonato Paulista. Estamos vivendo a 13 terceira rodada. 1 a 0 para o Palmeiras, escanteio batido pelo Douglas. A bola caiu dentro da área, Ronaldo! Welcome to Jerry and Marty Talk Footy, but not in ways you'd expect. The podcast of the South Mims U Soccer Studies Faculty. He's Marty. And he's Jerry. In this episode, we're going to find out if there's an Isthmian League team from South West London who, it can be argued, is possibly more important to world soccer than Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and Manchester United combined. It's a daring, probably delusional idea, which is par for the course from you, Marty. Well, Jerry, you know I like a challenge. And this all began when I was in the shower. Well, quite a lot of things begin life when you're in the shower, don't they? Oh, that's just common room gossip, and I don't think it's quite the place and the time. Don't worry, I don't listen to the academic tittle-tattle and scurrilous rumours that circulate about you, no matter how credible they seem. Oh, you're too kind, thank you. I just file them away for future use. Let's stick to the subject. Now, let me pose you a question. Imagine, you're a top-flight Brazilian club side, you're moving to a new stadium, you're planning a curtain raise a game, a match to herald a new era. You've got to pick your opponents and your choice is Real Madrid, Barcelona or Chelsea, who by the way you've just beaten in the World Club Championship. Which one do you choose? Well, mm, that's a difficult one. An abundance of riches. Um, I'd go for Real Madrid. Uh, genuine giants of the world game, 13 European Cups and Champions Leagues or whatever they're going to call it next. An understandable choice, Jerry, but wrong. Oh, Right, uh, well then, I bet they went for Chelsea. A rematch after their World Club triumph? Wrong again, I'm afraid. They gave their fans the, the choice and their vote, and it was overwhelming. 61% picked one team as the worthy opponents, and that team was the Isthmian League outfit. No, really, that, that can't be true, can it? Amazingly, it is. The Brazilian club was Corinthians Paulista of Sao Paulo, or Corinthians as they're usually called, and the non-leaguers were Corinthian Casuals, now based in Tolworth, just outside of Kingston in southwest London. Oh, of course! Corinthian Casuals. The Corinthian spirit and all that, right? That's the one. And they're still amateurs. Genuinely unique now in, in UK senior football. Yes, I, I remember you waxing lyrical, well, sort of lyrical, a, a while ago about Queen's Park FC, who were the other illustrious amateurs until 2019 when they went and spoilt it all by going professional. And didn't you argue at that time a compelling case for just how influential they had been? They're responsible for free kicks, half-time, crossbars and all sorts of things that we now take for granted and we we made a podcast about it do we owe everything to scotland you know your memory hasn't let you down yes i always think that queen's park and corinthian casuals are a sort of anglo-scottish pair of celestial soccer twins who have who have bestowed genuine sporting riches upon us marty you're uh, doing that waxing lyrical thing you do sorry i got carried away Tell us, what is it about the Corinthian Casuals, or the CCs, which made a bunch of Brazilians want to watch them? Well, Jerry, let me tantalise you and give you a few choice snippets. Corinthian Casuals were originally two separate and distinct clubs. They only actually combined in 1939. Each one was famous and significant in its own right, although I will say the Corinthians were certainly the primus inter pares. The uh, what, sorry? 
the first among equals. It was Corinthians who inflicted the heaviest ever defeat on Manchester United, 11-3 in 1904. It was also Corinthians that inspired Real Madrid, England, and of course Corinthians Paulista to wear white shirts. Right, so the Corinthians Paulista. I found a clip of their anthem, which is quite a famous song, and let's listen to it. It was the, the original English Corinthians who undertook the most ambitious and groundbreaking overseas tours and fielded the first black player to play at international level. Really? Who was that? Andrew Watson. He made his international debut for Scotland in 1881. Well, that's some heritage, certainly. But haven't you forgotten something? I'm not sure what you mean, Jerry. You are aware of my proud Maltese heritage, aren't you? I am indeed, and I'm proud that you're proud, but... I really don't quite follow. Oh, you disappoint me. You've not mentioned another colossus of the beautiful game, Zaytun Corinthians of the Maltese Premier League. I stand corrected and educated. I, I had no idea. I'm going to make a point of checking their results in future. In fact, they use the same song that the Corinthians do in Brazil. Let's have a listen to that. <laughs> That's interesting to hear it in Portuguese and Maltese. Now, let's go back to the casuals. Let's talk about them, Marty. Sure, Jerry. Well, the casuals famously played in chocolate and pink, and they're the colours the Corinthian casuals themselves now wear as their first strip, with the white shirt and navy shorts of Corinthians as their chain strip. The chocolate and pink might seem like an unpalatable mix, I, I accept, but one apparently chosen because they were the horse racing colours of one of the Casuals' founder members, a guy called Thomas Blenkiron. All this talk of the relationship between a Brazilian giant and a bunch of amateurs has reminded me of the uh, Juventus and Notts County link, actually. Oh yes, now that goes back a long time, doesn't it? It goes back to 1903. It's said that John Savage, an Englishman who played for Juve, offered to get some replacement shirts for the team and got a county-supporting friend to send to Turin the black and white stripes that usually Notts County wore at Meadow Lane. In fact, Juve did a similar thing to Corinthians when they moved to their new stadium in 2011. They chose Notts County as the opposition for their opening match, which finished 1-1. Not bad for County, eh? That's some result. I'm afraid the Corinthian casuals went down 3-0 in the end. But let's go back to the beginning. How did these two clubs come about in the first place? You really are particularly good at cutting to the chase, aren't you? First of all, 
Corinthian FC was formed in 1882, the same year as a certain team from N17. Tottenham Hotspur? Spurs, you mean? Yes, Spurs. Just emphasising that for listeners who aren't experts in London postcodes. Uh, Of course, and quite, quite right too. So, casuals were actually founded by Parr Jackson, who was a rather larger-than-life FA official, intent on putting together a club side that could form the nucleus of an England team capable of beating the Scots. He was basically fed up that England had lost six in a row to them and realised that Scotland's strength was that it had a settled team largely composed of Queen's Park teammates. So Corinthian was intended to be a pool of players really to make up the England team. So I suppose this new club started recruiting all the best players who have, of course amateurs from the public schools and universities, right? Exactly. Within a few years, nine of the England team were Corinthians, and 86 Corinthians have represented England at full international level. In fact, on two occasions, the national squad was made up entirely of Corinthian players. And if I remember my football history uh, correctly, the Corinthians were more than a match for the top professional sides, weren't they? They were the only club, I think, to defeat Preston North End's old invincibles. As you've already pointed out, they did beat Manchester United 11-3. Yes, and they always remained steadfast in their amateurism. But where I think they genuinely shaped the development of the game globally was with their overseas touring. Now, remember, at the turn of the 20th century, they were generally regarded as the best team in the world. And with that mantle, they took football to South America, South Africa, Canada, the United States, and naturally across all of Europe, with groundbreaking tours of Austria, Hungary, France, Spain, Holland, Scandinavia, and and of course Germany. In fact, football historians really do regard their 1906 tour of Germany and their 1910 and 1913 tours of Brazil as being the bedrocks of football development in both countries. Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? Literally shaping the soccer world map. Indeed, but they continue to make a significant impact here at home. Their FA Cup exploits throughout the 1920s are famous. Um, Regularly, uh, Corinthians would attract crowds of 40 or 50,000, and they proved more than a match for the likes of Manchester City, Newcastle and West Brom, all of whom were genuine powerhouses of the time. You certainly know your soccer stuff, Marty. Ah, Jerry, I I do, I do. It's, It's a gift, you know. Well, carry on strutting that stuff. I will indeed. Now, even into the 1930s, Corinthians were making their mark at the top level, and they were, of course, continuing with their tours abroad, including a famous tour to Germany in 1936 in the midst of Berlin's preparations for the Olympics. But as we know, all good things come to an end. And by the late 1930s, really, the professional game had overtaken even top-class amateurs, and interest in amateur exhibition football was no longer there. Hence the merger between the Corinthians and the Casuals in 1939? Yes, Corinthian FC had often shared players with with the Casuals and the two clubs had actually also toured together. We must find out more about the Casuals then, but before we do that, what about the Corinthian spirit? It's a phrase we all still use, so how did it come about? Yes, that's the phrase that everyone knows, isn't it? Corinthian FC had founding principles of amateurism, fair play and sportsmanship, but its players really did take those seriously. For instance, There's wonderful accounts of what would happen when a penalty was awarded. The Corinthian view was that a gentleman would never commit a deliberate foul on an opponent. Therefore, if a foul did take place and a penalty was awarded against the Corinthians, their goalkeeper would simply stand to one side, lean casually against the goalpost and allow the goal to be scored. Conversely, if the Corinthians were awarded a penalty, their captain would simply take it and ensure that the ball was chipped well over the crossbar. 
So just the sort of ethos we see displayed each week in the Premier League, right? Jerry, now there's a thought. And of course, there were some great characters among the Corinthian players, weren't there? Yes, there were. The ones that always spring to mind are C.B. Fry, who was famously said to have been offered the throne of Albania, which he turned down, and C. Aubrey Smith, who went to Hollywood, made his mark in acting, and founded the Hollywood Cricket Club. Uh, the throne of Albania? You mean the actual throne, like a, a piece of furniture? Uh, Jerry, Jerry, keep up, please. The opportunity to be king of Albania. Oh, amazing. He didn't accept. In fact, Fry had an illustrious cricketing career too. Not surprising given that most of the early amateur footballers were also cricketers. In fact, the Corinthian Ari Foster remains to this day the only player to have captained England at both football and cricket. Sporting Renaissance men, indeed. And the casuals were made up of an equally illustrious bunch, weren't they? Yes, and they were founded just a year later than the Corinthians in 1883. Now, I've heard it argued that the casuals were perhaps an even greater force in the competitive amateur game. After all, they reached the very first amateur cup final in 1894 and actually won it as late as 1936, beating the then powerful Ilford. In fact, it was because of their firm commitment to league competition, the Ishmian League, in fact, which of course the present club still play in, that they didn't have the chance of touring as regularly or as widely as the Corinthians. But I think that when they did play abroad, they held their own. I, I know that I've heard about matches they played against teams that themselves were or became hugely successful. The likes of Athletic Bilbao, Sporting Lisbon, Benfica and MTK Budapest. Those last two, they actually beat, didn't they? Yes, they did. And the casuals were evangelists of the game, in the same way, really, as the Corinthians, even though their overseas exploits have been rather overshadowed by the sheer lasting impressions that some of the Corinthians' tours created. It just occurs to me, Marty, though, that both teams really led their lives as sort of nomads. After all, I can't really think of either having a home ground as such. I know that Corinthians MC played at the Oval in the very beginning, and then at Queen's Club in Kensington and Crystal Palace in South London, but they also seem to have played all over London, even White Hart Lane. That's right. In reality, Queen's Club became the nearest they had to a home ground, although the big FA Cup matches were at Crystal Palace, and I mean the old Crystal Palace, not Selhurst Park. The casuals, meanwhile, went through a series of fairly short-lived home grounds, from Upper Tooting in South London to the cricket ground at Leighton in East London, and again, Crystal Palace. Finally, they settled in Kingston uh, until the 1939 merger. Even the merged club then moved from one ground to another. They were at the Oval in the 1950s, then Dulwich Hamlet, then they were at Tooting and Mitcham. It was only from 1988 that they'd been at their current ground, which is the suitably regally named King George's Field in Tolworth, which is essentially Surbiton or Kingston, depending on your viewpoint. Oh, Tolworth, the home of the Tolworth Tower, designed by Richard Seifert, who also gave us that beautiful building, centre point at the end of Oxford Street in London, and also what was the NetWest Tower in the city, and is now Tower 42 or something. <laughs> yeah, Jerry, Seifert certainly got a lot to answer for then. But Tower 42... I thought that was a band playing popular music. Oh, you are so out of touch on some things, uh, Marty. That's level 42, and before you ask, they have nothing to do with the tower. Well, you've got a strain into architecture, and I know even less about that than I do about football. Anyway, I think you've made a compelling case for the importance of Corinthian casuals, and I feel reassured that the Corinthian spirit 
lives on. Jerry, thank you for that. And can I just add that the present ground at Tolworth has become a site of pilgrimage for footy fans from around the world, and particularly from Brazil. It seems they turn up even on non-match days. Well, we really all should get ourselves over there at some point to give the chocolate and pinks a cheer and to celebrate a team that is and remains a piece of football history. You've made me rather emotional, Jerry, and that's something you don't often manage. Thank you. Well, thank you, Marty. And thank you, dear listeners, for your patience. Please check out the other Soccer Studies podcasts we've produced at South Mimsu, as well as a host of other surprising and interesting subjects. Stay true to the Corinthian spirit. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah.